0: You're listening to the Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at South Crest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of James. Uh, if you're new with this this morning, we're going through uh, very slowly and intentionally through the book of James. We're going to be in starting in verse 12 here in just a minute in James chapter 1. I look forward to seeing what God has for us this morning. I mentioned the the hurricane earlier, and a lot of y'all may have been keeping up with that, or just you can't, if you turn on the news at all on your phone, open up the news app or weather channel app, you can't help but see what's been going on with the hurricane. Um, And maybe something you picked up at some of the terminology, uh, just familiar with the hurricane after seeing all the news this week, but the, the east side of the hurricane is really the worst side. All of it is bad, but that's the worst side. And uh, the that normally, like, I grew up in Florida, so kind of like Floridian language we would use is that it's the dirty side. So the dirty side because it's the worst side. Maybe you saw this week even as the hurricane was approaching the west coast of Florida, all that eastern part of it, of the hurricane was over Florida, and there were tornado warnings all over the state. Because if a hurricane wasn't bad enough by itself, the east side of the hurricane can often spin out tornadoes. So you already have a hurricane, the wind, the waves, the rain, the storm surge, and then in addition to that, it can spin out tornadoes and be destructive. I remember in college, I went to the Baptist College of Florida, and uh, there was a hurricane that hit the Gulf, and it wasn't, the hurricane wasn't that bad, but it spun out some tornadoes that destroyed several people's homes. So you've got really two things happening. One kind of led to the other, but there's really two things. You had a hurricane, and then out of that, you had these tornadoes. As we're we're studying in James, we've been under this context, this idea of of trials, of of hard times when life is difficult. And in verse 12, I believe verse 12 is kind of a hinge verse. He's transitioning to not just trials, but temptations. And here's the reality to make sure we need to know. Trials and temptations are different, okay? Like going through a hard time and being tempted to sin, those aren't the same thing, like in their DNA. But the reality is oftentimes a trial can, can spin out, so to speak, like a tornado, a temptation. Isn't it true, I'm assuming you're like me, that you're more prone to, to be tempted by something when you're tired or hungry, right? Trials, difficult times, they can end up because you're already maybe in, like in a, a weakened state of mind or you're just physically worn out, maybe emotionally worn out, spiritually worn out. Your flesh likes to grab hold of that and, and walk you into temptation, What James is going to do in these verses is help us understand the nature of temptation. If we're going to endure, if we're going to to cling to Christ, even in the trial, even in the hard time, part of that is knowing how do we fight temptation. And you fight temptation, first of all, by just kind of understanding the nature of it. So what do you do when your trial turns into temptation? See what James has to say about it. Verse 12, he says... Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil. And he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Now, I want to ask you, before I pray, I want to ask you, what are you tempted with? Like, for every single one of us, there's going to be different temptations. There'll be some crossover. We all have different temptations, but the reality is, All of us are going to be tempted. But what is it that you're tempted with? I'm going to pray for us. And as I'm praying, you can pray too. Maybe ask that God would, not maybe, I want you to, to ask the Lord to help you in this area of temptation today. God, would you even right now show us those areas where we are weak, where we are prone to temptation or would you maybe even open up our eyes to maybe the different trials that that we're in that in that trial maybe along with that trial is coming some temptation God would you open our eyes would you would you speak to us this morning as we your word helps us understand the nature of temptation, and even in the context of, of just life being difficult, kind of one thing on another, between a rock and a hard place. God, would you show us how to endure, how to continue walking with you, even in those difficult times where we're also tempted? I would love you and look forward to what you're going to do. It's your name we pray. Amen. First thing I think. We see in the text that if I'm honest, maybe it's a little more implied than explicit, but I think it's, it's still there for sure. And that is this, number one, remember temptation is normal. Temptation, even for the believer, is a normal thing. That's why he says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by, by God. And each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed. He doesn't say, you know, none of the, none of the really weak believers are are tempted when this happens. And he doesn't say, for all you foolish Christians who can't seem to get your act together, when you're tempted, you shouldn't do this. No, all of us are going to experience trials and all of us are going to experience at some point temptation. It's a normal part of life in this broken, fallen world. Even as a believer, even as a Christian, you're you're gonna experience temptation. It doesn't mean that you're weaker, you're lesser, that you, you should have prayed more. No, it's just part of life. That's why, that's why James is addressing it. He knows that every single Christian is going to experience temptation, is going to, to experience the, the being tempted to walk away from the Lord and find their greatest pleasure and purpose in something other than Jesus, to to embrace something other than Jesus, to find more fulfillment, to find more satisfaction in something other than Jesus. It's a normal, regular part of life. That's why James is addressing it. If you go to the fair, anybody been to the fair yet this year? If you go to the fair, you may be tempted to eat something that is not the best for you, right? Right? Now, I'm not dogging on on, on fair food. Like, you you walk in the fair and you smell corn dogs and you smell fried Snickers and fried cheese. I don't know how they do that. I guess that's a cheese stick. Maybe that's not that impressive. Like, fried Oreos. There's strawberry lemonade that, like, for every one cup of strawberry lemonade, there's four cups of sugar. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that stuff is life-changing. So many amazing things. Now, when, when you go in the fair and you see all that stuff, and you smell all that stuff, it's not wrong for you to desire that. Like it's, it's, actually if you walk through there and you're not tempted by any of that, I may think something's wrong with you, right? <laughs> like all oh, this smells so good, it looks so good. Where it becomes a problem is what you do with that desire, right? Like think about my old buddy Garrett who we were working at the fair one day, It's like 12 years ago, and in a, in a day's time, he had turkey leg, corn dog, fried Snickers, cotton candy, strawberry lemonade, sausage drap. At the end of the day, he's like, I think my stomach kind of hurts. And I'm like, yeah, you reckon? <laughs> Way too much junk food. Same temptation. It, he really gave into it. Where am I going with that? Temptation is normal. And in and of itself is not wrong. The problem is when, when you give into it. So, so what, do we, what do we do with this? One, don't be surprised when you're tempted. Like how foolish it would be to go to the fair and be like, oh man, I can't believe I'm having these longings to eat a corn dog. You're at the fair. Right? I, can't believe, I can't believe I'm having these longings to drink a gallon of strawberry lemonade that is straight sugar. You're at the fair. Of course you're gonna be tempted with that. Y'all in this fallen, broken world, you should not be surprised that you're tempted. That's why Peter says, to, to be sober-minded, to, to be alert, to keep your, to, you can use this phrase, keep your head on a swivel. Like, watch out, because temptation is a normal, regular part of life. Don't be surprised that you're tempted. And, and the second thing I would say, kind of maybe almost the flip side of that, is don't be hard on yourself. Because temptation is normal for every single believer. You, you, you don't need to be hard on yourself when you are tempted. I, I would say that if you get really down on yourself, man, why am I being tempted with this? The reality is that's just gonna make you more susceptible to give in to the temptation. When you're tempted, you're in good company. Do you know who else was tempted? Jesus. Jesus was tempted. So don't jump off into the deep end, oh, what is wrong with you when you're tempted? No, Jesus was tempted too. Hebrews 4 says he was tempted in every way that we were yet without sin. He's a high priest who understands our weakness so we can come into his throne room boldly. Rather than like, oh, being tempted with this, I must be a terrible person. No, know that Jesus understands what it is to be tempted and you can go go to him in that temptation. Remember, temptation is normal. So if it's normal, what does James say about where it comes from? He says, verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. By the way, trial and temptation here, same Greek word. Again, this, this, over, this idea that so often in trial, temptation flows out of that. So often because of our weak fallen nature, in when life is hard, we're tempted to give up on God or to sin against him. He says, no one should say I'm being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. Here's the second point he's helping us understand with temptation. Don't blame God for your temptation. Don't point the finger of blame at God. We're so prone to to want to blame and and put things on other people, or put, this is God's fault, and, and James is saying, don't point the finger of blame at God. He's not the one tempting you. He expounds on it a little bit. He says, God is not tempted by evil, and while it doesn't say therefore, I think the kind of idea is therefore, and he, does, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. So God isn't tempted to sin. He doesn't find delight in sin. And so we can trust in He doesn't delight in you being tempted to sin. He doesn't find pleasure in you being tempted by evil. It's not from the Lord. When, when you feel yourself desiring sinful things, it's not from God why is that so important because if you get this twisted you're going to end up with a twisted view of God see to, to think that God is, is putting evil out in front of you and and uh, how's this going to go and delighting in you and delighting in you desiring evil it's a twisted view of our, of our heavenly father God is not a God. He's not a father who delights in his son falling down the stairs and hurting himself. He's not a father who delights in his daughter placing her hand on the hot stove. They told her not to touch, and she touched it anyways. He doesn't delight in seeing her scream and shriek and step back with her hand burned. No, he's a good, loving father who has no delight in your temptation. Why is that so important? If you had this idea that temptation is from God, when you're tempted, you'll run from God instead of to God. And what a shame it is to run from God in the time we need Him most. You can think back to Hebrews 4. Like he understands our weakness and he's, he's inviting us to come and say, Lord, here's where I'm struggling. But if if you think he's the one that's caused this temptation, you're not going to do that because you're going to view him as wanting to hurt you rather than to help you. So James says, don't point the finger at God. He doesn't tempt anyone. Don't blame God for your temptation. Well, if we don't blame God, who are we supposed to blame? Because you know we got to blame somebody, Right? (laughs) Who do we blame if we don't blame God? You might have been surprised at what we read earlier. He says, verse 14, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. So where does temptation come from? I'm gonna read it again. Not a trick question. Each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. So where do evil desires, where does temptation come from? Yourself. Wait, that can't be true. Surely I can blame my parents, my genes, my circumstance, my lack of nurturing at home, surely there's someone else I can blame. Surely I can blame the school system. Surely I can blame my grandparents. No, he says the problem is with you. Well, if my church would have been better growing up, and, I mean, that, that's helpful too, but no, the problem is with us. James is pointing out we are our own worst enemies. See, so often we, we want to point the finger at Satan. And James is going to deal with that later in, James, uh, in, later in the book. Like Satan is part of this, but James is here pushing on the idea, that, the, the truth that, listen, even as believers, even as people saved by the grace of God now called saints and not sinners, reality is we still have a human flesh that is broken and fallen and struggles. Those evil desires start here with us. And what's he telling us to do? By all that he unpacks in 14 and 15, I think it's this, our third point. Deal with desires early and often. Deal with desires early and often. Again, desire is just a, a really a word for temptation. And the desire in and of itself, that's not where you've sinned. The problem is when you welcome sin, when you embrace it rather than evade it. That's why he says, verse 14, but each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. So notice that that hunting, that fishing language of luring away, of enticing. It's a trap, right? So think about that. How messed up is that? Your own flesh, your own sinful self, is the one enticing you into harm, into pain, into the the trap, the destruction of sin. Again, we're kind of a mess if you haven't figured that out from the Bible yet, right? We're broken people. He says, we're drawn away and enticed by our own evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. After desire has conceived. A lot of commentators express it this way. Again, that It's when you greet temptation with welcome, with embrace, rather than than pushing it away. That's when desire conceives. And when desire conceives, it gives birth, not to something good, but to sin. And when a baby is born, what does a baby do? A healthy baby, what does it do? It grows. Or someone, someone said cries. It cries too. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, right. We'll talk about this later. Yeah, it cries. But if it tells you, it should grow, right? I mean, maybe like at first, it may lose a couple pounds in the hospital, whatever. Like that's normal. At least ours did, which I think is normal. But then they grow, they get healthier. And James is doing a play. We think of a positive thing with a baby. He's saying, sin does the same thing and it's not good. Sin, when it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. So sin doesn't grow like, oh man, this turned out great. No, sin grows into death and destruction and chaos and despair. Do you notice the, the the trail there? So starts with desire. Man, that sounds good. That looks good. That's just part of being human. But when you embrace that, rather than nope, that's not what that's not what God has for me. When you embrace it, the next step is you give in to sin. And then that sin gives way to death. See, James is confronting something so popular in our minds, so common in our minds. We're prone. We often think, well, if I just sin this one time, I'll feel better. I just need to get it out of my system and then I'll be good. I just need to say this one thing, then I'll feel better. I just need to look at this one thing, then I'll feel better. And James is saying, that's a lie from hell. When desire conceives, it gives birth to sin and sin grows into death. So it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't feed sin and now it says, oh, thank you for feeding me. I'll leave you alone. No, you feed sin and it just gets bigger and bigger and worse and worse. So James said, you got to deal with desires early and often or they will grow out of control. Like just because I think it's a very concrete picture and easy to explain as an example of this, it would be like, Someone, I'll just do it from a guy's perspective. A, a married man saying, I won't even, we won't even use, uh, I'll use lust, like desire, but I won't use it in the idea of sexual sin. Well, uh, like, yeah, something with sex. We'll just use lust and desiring something God has not given to you. Or trying to find something uh, that you want in a way that God hasn't given you to receive that thing you're looking for. So every person looks for admiration, affirmation, affection, That's how we're wired. As a a married man, God has told me to find admiration, affection, affirmation in my wife, Lauren. What if I, maybe I'm not getting that. Maybe she's going through a hard time. This is not real. I'm just making this up, right? Don't Don't be worried. But what if she's going through a hard time? She's going through a trial. Now I'm kind of in a trial. And then out of that trial, I'll say, you know what? Like, Maybe I can find admiration, affirmation, affection somewhere else. The thought coming into my mind, that desire initially, that's not wrong. The problem where desire conceives is when I go, man, that would be nice. Maybe I'm going to go talk to that person. Maybe I'll shoot that person a message. Maybe, maybe they'll encourage me a little bit. Desire has conceived. It gives birth to sin. Now, sin, if I, instead of pushing away on, oh, man, I shouldn't have had that conversation, I shouldn't have talked to that person, I shouldn't have sent them a message whatever instead of pushing it away, if I welcome it and say, man, that affirmation felt good, sin brings forth death. Eventually it could result in the death of my marriage. All what started just just with what seemed like a silly, small desire. Y'all tracking with me? James says, it all starts here by our own evil desire. Gives birth to sin, it brings forth death. Deal with desires early and often. If you show up at our house with a baby tiger, first of all, that's gonna be super cool, right? Like I'm like, that's awesome, it's a baby tiger. And I'm gonna wanna pet the tiger, and I may even want to snuggle with the little tiger. But before the day's over, I'm gonna say, tiger's got to go. Even if my little kid's like, please, we want to keep the tiger. Even if Lauren begged to keep the tiger, I'm going to say, tiger's got to go. Why not? It's just a baby. I'm going to say, it's cute now, but I know what's going to happen. When we feed that thing, it's going to grow, and it's going to kill me and my family. It's going to attack us when we least expect it. I told this, this like don't, everybody wanted to start Googling it last service, um, so don't do that now. But there, in 2009, there was a lady... Um, she, was, I think the, the chimpanzee's name was Travis, but she had kept this chimpanzee, Travis. It was like on TV shows and stuff like that. And then one day in 2009, her friend was at the house, and the chimpanzee that she had raised had been all cute and cuddly. Uh, it attacked her friend and literally tore her friend's face and hands off. They had to shoot the chimpanzee. Well, I'm telling you that terrible story. It started off cute and cuddly. Oh, it's a cute little monkey. And it brought death and destruction. See, sin, excuse me, let's back it up a step. Temptation, desire is like that. When you experience temptation and desire, it feels cute and cuddly and snuggly. Just the idea of temptation, I mean, just not acting on, just thinking about whatever it is you're being tempted with can make you feel good. But the problem is when you pursue that momentary fleeting, fleeting temptation, it just grows and brings destruction. What is cute now will destroy you later. Deal with desires early and often. And if if you need some motivation for that, James gave it to us back in verse 12. He says, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So so what's going on here? Blessed is the one who endures trials, who clings to Christ, who keeps walking with Jesus, even when life is hard. Because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So when he says blessed, he doesn't mean you're going to have this easy perfect, happy life. If you endure trials, everything will be great. No, when he says blessed, he's really referring to two things, one implicitly, one explicitly. One implicitly and that when, when you endure the trial, you're continuing to walk with God, expressing your love to him, and you experiencing his love for you. There's joy, there's hope, there's peace, there's power in walking with the Lord even in a hard time. It's blessed. There's joy in it. But more explicitly in this text, he's saying The blessedness is that when you've stood the test, you will receive the crown of life promised to those who love God. What is he referring to? He's referring to eternal life. He's referring to heaven. So he's not giving this fake like health and wealth. Guys, you know, if you endure through a trial, if you resist temptation, even on this earth, life will be great. It'll be perfect. You'll receive all this jewelry and stuff. That's ridiculous. No, he's calling us to, what is our fourth point? And that is to look up. To look up to the hope of heaven, to the promise of eternal life, which is what, what, what he's explicitly referring to. That yes, this world has fallen and broken, and you're going to be tempted by all kinds of things in this world. You're going to be tempted, lured away to find pleasure, temporary pleasure in all different kinds of things of this world. But how you keep going, how you keep enduring, remember the promise of God, the hope of heaven. There's coming a day where there'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more upsets, no more disappointments, no more letdown, but your satisfaction, your joy, your fulfillment will ultimately be met in Jesus Christ in heaven. Amen. Don't we look forward to that? Look up. Blessed is the one who endures trials, but they will receive the crown of life. The the picture here, the metaphor here that he gives in the text, is: we we often think of a gold crown with jewels all in it. That's not the picture here. The picture here was uh, the kind of crown that an athlete in in Roman times would receive after competing in a race and winning the race, finishing the race. So a a crown probably made of leaves and of, of a vine placed on their heads, Well done. You you did it. You finished the race. You accomplished it. See, James is calling us to press on in our race, to endure through the trial, to endure through temptation by remembering what's at the finish line. At the finish line is the hope of heaven. I realize if you're in high school or middle school or even college, that feels like a long ways away. Don't ignore James' encouragement here. Make a practice now of fixing your eyes on the hope of heaven. Look up. How do you, how does a runner not get distracted by, oh man, I could stop running and go eat this Twinkie over here. <laughs> like, I, could, I could stop running and go get a big old bottle of Gatorade. Now, how do they keep going and finish the race? By remembering the joy that is set before you at the finish line. The hope of finishing and being done and, and the reward that comes with that. That's what James is saying. He's saying you, you push off temptation, you push off fleshly evil desires by remembering the hope of heaven and the joy that will come with eternal life walking with Jesus. Look up. What do you do when your trial turns into temptation? One, remember temptation is normal. Don't blame God for your temptation. Deal with your desires early. Deal with them often. And look up. You know, I think about dealing with desires early and often. Uh, I want to just clarify here. That means being honest with God and honest with people, right? Hey, here's what's going on in my heart and mind. There's kind of a common phrase in in Christian circles, and I think it's absolutely true, you can't fight the devil in the dark. What James is saying here is you can't fight your desires in the dark. You've got to lean into community and be honest with people. Be honest with the Lord about where you're struggling. You know, speaking of being honest, there's some passages that that leave you feeling pumped up. And like you walk out of church and you're like, yeah, let's go conquer the world. Let's do it. I don't think this is one of those passages. Like I, it's a great passage, but I don't think it's one of those that would just like, that hypes you up. It's just kind of real, like just a reminder that, yeah, your, your temptations come from within because you're, you're a mess. People often think that James and Paul, they don't see eye to eye. I totally disagree. I think they're looking at the same diamond just from a different angle. See, James, excuse me, Paul in Romans 7, he kind of says the same thing that James is saying here. Paul in Romans 7 says, the things I know I should do as a Christian, and finding my greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus and loving my neighbor as myself and, and living a generous life for the kingdom of God. Those things that I know I should do that in reality I want to do because I'm a follower of Jesus, he says, yeah, those things, I don't do those things very often. <laughs> I mess up all the time. And then he says the things I don't want to do as a follower of Jesus, the things that I know are wrong, acting out in anger, being prideful, looking at someone with lust, being jealous of what other people have, those things that I don't do, yeah, those are the things that I do. (laughs) He says, "Uh, I'm a complete mess. Who's going to save me from this wretched body? And he says, praise be to Jesus because he is my hope. Uh, I think that's what James ultimately is, why he's giving us this and what is Uh, discouraging as it could be, is he's calling us to do two things. Stay humble, stay hungry. Stay humble, stay hungry. Humble, realizing you are a complete mess and need every day of the grace and the mercy and the power of God in your life. Stay humble and stay hungry. Hungry, knowing that what Jesus has for you is better than what the world has for you. How do you endure through a trial? How do you you push off temptation and keep your eyes on Jesus and finding your greatest pleasure and purpose in him? You stay humble, you stay hungry. And in so doing, you cling to Christ and fight through the temptation. Stay humble, stay hungry, knowing your hope is in your healer, Jesus Christ. I'm to pray for us in just a minute. Our worship team's going to come on up. If you're a believer, I, I just want to ask you as we sing this song in a moment to, to be honest with the Lord about some of the temptations that you face, some of the desires that you experience in your heart and your mind. And come to Him boldly, as Hebrews 4 says, knowing there is grace for your past sin, grace for your current sin, and grace for your future sin. And not only that, there is overcoming power, power to overcome temptations for your current sins, for your current temptations and your future temptations. He's inviting you to come talk to him about those. Celebrate the the grace secured by the blood of Christ, but also to celebrate the power secured by the empty grave to overcome your evil desires. And and if you're not a Christian this morning, please see from the words of James, the gospel is not about when I've cleaned myself up and now God will accept me and now I gotta keep my act together so I can keep staying in his good grace. No, even as believers, we still have evil messed up desires from the beginning to the end. Our only hope is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Your only hope is the finished work of Jesus Christ, not you getting it all together, controlling all your temptations and desires. You'll never be able to do that. Your only hope is Jesus. He's offering you forgiveness and hope and salvation and the power to overcome your struggles. You will simply turn to him. Put down the shovel of trying to to work and, and dig out the holes in or dig out the mess in your life and realize you're never gonna dig to the bottom of it. Your only hope is what Jesus has done for you put that down, come rest in my arms, walk with me. If you don't know Jesus and you want to come into a relationship with him this morning, maybe you sense him drawing you to himself. This is what Jesus does. You're, you're, your fleshly desires are tempting you towards sin and Jesus at the same time is drawing you, inviting you into a relationship with him. That's simply just admitting your sin and and confessing your need for Jesus and saying, Jesus, would you be in charge of my life? I recognize you are the king of the universe and I want to submit to that. Would you have authority in my life? If you want to talk to someone about what that means to to trust Jesus, we'll be back at the Welcome Center and back at the Coffee Center as we sing this song. We could just walk you through what it means to, to place your faith and trust in Jesus and come into a relationship with him. If you're a believer, ask him for help and celebrate His grace. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to stand and respond. Jesus, thank you that you you are our hope. That even though we still struggle with evil desires that we're prone to be messes, that you gave your life for us. And in you, there is hope, and joy, and victory. would you teach us to walk in that victory over temptation? Can help us to be real even right now, just about the, the ways that we struggle and the areas in which we are tempted to come to you, knowing that you know what it is to be tempted, even far greater than we could, because you never give in. So you, you never gave in. So you know the full power of temptation, much greater than we do. what mercy and grace there is in your arms. And God, for those that, that don't know you, would you draw them to yourself this morning as we sing and pray, would you just stir our heart's desire for you? God, we love you. So your name we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.